This is Encounter with God. You're listening to The Breakfast Show with Gemma and myself, Lyle. Uh, joining us as a special guest this morning is Adam Ramden, all the way from the UK. So, Adam, uh, really glad to have you part of the show this morning. Thank you. Good to be here. And, uh, of course, he was here for the interview section, but uh, now we're into our Bible study section, which is Daniel chapter 4. Start turning there in your Bibles. If you are not on the road... If you are driving, then not such a good idea, unless you pull over to the side. But before we get to our Bible study, Gemma is going to bring us our next clue for our quiz. This is a what number am I? Get ready to give us a call. There will be a prize coming your way if you can answer it. The next clue is Moses sent this many men to spy out Canaan. Okay, so how many men did Moses send to spy out Canaan? If you know the answer... You can call us 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. Well, we are halfway through what is possibly the most unique chapter of the entire Bible. And I'm loving it so far. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. It's so cool. Uh Uh-huh. So what you have here, just as a bit of a recap from yesterday... Um, There's our 20 million movement Bible study, 20 million people studying the same passage of the Bible right around the world. What we had happening yesterday, what we noted was that here you have a chapter of the Bible, which is a personal testimony. There are a number of those in the Bible, but not a huge amount, which is as an entire chapter. But not just a personal testimony. You have a chapter of the Bible that is written by a non-Hebrew person. Mm-hmm. And not just any non-Hebrew person, not just your average non-Hebrew person, but the emperor of the greatest empire in the world at that time, Nebuchadnezzar himself, personally writing a chapter of the Bible. It's pretty amazing that he wrote in the Bible, uh-huh. I think. Yeah. I think the equivalent today is like you think of a, a terrible dictator leader who's persecuted God's people then write in a chapter in their holy book. I yeah, mean, that would... That, that I mean, would, he destroyed Jerusalem. Uh-huh, he he uh-huh. wiped the city out, and then there's a chapter by him in <laughs> in the book of Daniel. And, and it shows that, you know, we, we serve a God who loves to just turn things on their head mm-hmm. and do things that we do not expect. You know, if you go back a few chapters and, and a little bit of history earlier than this, and of course, you know, this happens later in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Um, he's a much older person, so when we started off, you know, he's in his mid-20s. Uh, but, you know, when we start off, we've got Babylon, which from one end of the Bible to the other is symbolic of everything that is anti-God's people. This is Satan's empire. And you have Jerusalem, which from one end of the Bible to the other is symbolic of God's people and God's church. Even though it had a lot of issues and a lot of faults, which is pretty much like God's church is today. Uh, But it is symbolic of God's church. And Jerusalem is just convincingly defeated. I mean, their temple is burnt and destroyed. Everything all the objects of worship are now sitting in the temple of Bel and Marduk in Babylon. You've got, you know, they, they, their kings are taken captive. They're, they're, you know, eventually the whole nation is uprooted and deported. And it looks like it's completely over. They've had generations of paganism in Judah. You've got, you know, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Daniel and his three friends, and that's about it that's left. And you've got the devil looking on like, I've just about got this. 
You know, I'm about to wipe the knowledge of God from the face of the whole earth. Mm. And then you've got God, you know, quietly sitting back and saying, oh, really? Well, watch this. Oops. Your emperor just got converted. The emperor of Satan's empire is now Mm. a follower of God. It is just one of the most remarkable stories. And when you look at a story like that, you know, if God can turn things around on a national scale like that and even a multinational scale as we have taking place right here, I think God is, I think we can have a lot of confidence that God is capable of turning things around in your life. Oh, absolutely. And turning your defeats into victories. Anyway, so we got halfway through this vision uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had. It's the second dream of his that is recorded in the Bible. It's the second one that comes from God. It's the dream of a tree. We noticed that, you know, just starts talking about the tree, the tree this, the tree that, the tree the other, the tree something else, until it suddenly says, him. Ooh. And it wouldn't have been hard for Nebuchadnezzar to divine that this could possibly be symbolic of him, and it doesn't have a great ending. No, it's not a real positive story. (laughs) So it's no wonder that he's quite stressed to find out about it. None of his uh, cabinet, who are dream guesses, even if they are getting a guess that looks correct, are going to have a crack at this one. But Daniel has always been honest. And so he calls Daniel in. His name is Belteshazzar. He is Prime Minister or Grand Vizier of the Babylonian Empire. Let's pick the story up in verse 18. Gemma, if you could read that for us, please. Belteshazzar, that was the... That was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Okay. And um, Adam, could you read for us verse 19, please? Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar... Let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Okay, so Daniel knows instantly what the interpretation is. He doesn't have to guess about it. He's been revealed to him by God. And initially, he doesn't say anything. Mm -hmm. In my translation, it says he was quiet for a whole hour. He Mm. just shut up. He was like, ooh. He doesn't want to go to Nebuchadnezzar with the answers to this. And, of course, you know, as we noted yesterday, Nebuchadnezzar has a habit when people get on his bad side of executing them and their families and their children and their wives and turning their houses into a pile of poo. Um, politely translated as rubble in some translations. Um, not so politely in my old KJV. But that's what Nebuchadnezzar has a habit of. And you kind of, you don't want to cross the guy, but, you know, he's really good friends with Belteshazzar. And you can see this coming through. And I want you all to note very, very carefully the level of respect that they have for each other. You Mm. know, Nebuchadnezzar addresses Daniel as, O master of the magicians. Mm. And Belteshazzar or Daniel addresses the king with, you know, Utmost respect. Let this dream be to your enemies. He doesn't want to talk about it, but Nebuchadnezzar is like, nope, out with it. I think Daniel, if you think, go back to Daniel chapter 2. This is the second time that Daniel has to deliver bad news to the king. Because in Daniel 2, he said, you know, you're the head of gold and you're going to be, you're this empire. And then he says, well, after you, there's going to come someone inferior to you. Yeah, that's pretty rough 
when you're told that an inferior kingdom will conquer yours. And now he's not in terms of the nation, but in terms of personal, he's got some bad news to deliver him. And he's, I can imagine going through Daniel's mind. I was always like, oh man, again. <laughs> you know, yeah. Every time this guy gets a dream and I have to interpret it, I'm about to give him bad news. Uh huh. Add on top of that, that, you know, the king has already chucked people in a furnace and he's already said, if you're incorrect about the dream, I'm going to kill you. And like, he's not exactly a polite guy to get bad news. Like, Okay, but here's the other thing, because Nebuchadnezzar has come across the Jewish God a number of times. Hmm. Um, Yahweh. He's, he's, he's come in contact with this God, and now, you know, he's, he's come a long way through his life. Daniel, or Belteshazzar, has been his uh, prime minister for a, a lengthy period of time. He would be very, very familiar with Yahweh up until this point. Yes. He's had the dream of Daniel too. He tried to defy that dream. That didn't go so well for him because he went up against Yahweh and he lost epically in front of everyone. And so he's kind of forced to admit that the dream of Daniel chapter 2 is a prophecy that is mm-hmm. going to come true. Mm-hmm. And now he has this dream. The first thing that would go through in my mind if I was Nebuchadnezzar, you know, a great tree that supplies the needs of the whole world and gets cut down. The thing that would terrify me at this point would be, is Daniel 2 about to happen? Now, we know it's not. Mm. But you'd have to think that if you were... You'd mm-hmm. have to wonder yeah. about that if you were Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he built a whole image to try and reverse Daniel 2. Ah, so, yeah. it played on his mind. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so, uh, let's read on here. Gemma, can you read? Oh, we don't have time for... Well, we've got to have a little bit of a break here in just a moment. I'm going to read one verse. The tree that you saw, which grew and was strong, whose height reached to heaven, and the sight to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, the Bible says, is you... Nebuchadnezzar, you have become strong. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. You have become strong for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven and your dominion to the end of the earth. At that particular point, I would say that Nebuchadnezzar's heart sunk like a stone because he'd just been told what he probably suspected he was going to be told. He was the tree. Yeah, he's Mm -hmm. the tree. And it's going to get cut down. Okay, let's continue on there, Gemma, if you could read for us verse 23, 24, please. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord, the King. Okay, how are you feeling now if you are Nebuchadnezzar? Oh, not good. Yeah, not so great. I'd, you'd, be, you'd be feeling quite... Uh, ooh, that's not good news. Scared, threatened. Particularly, particularly... Because this is a dream that comes from Yahweh, and Yahweh's supernatural powers are well known to you. Yeah, you've already been defeated by him once. That's right. Um, it's been interpreted by Yahweh, and so, you know, if this hasn't been interpreted by, you know, Bel or Marduk or one of the Babylonian gods, Yahweh's come through on this one, and Yahweh has pronounced this, and you have a pretty good idea that what Yahweh says is what happens. Um... It would not be it would not be good news that you are receiving at this particular point. Now, for a normal person, 
you know, the first thing that I would ask is, okay, what is the cure? Yeah, is there a way out? Exactly. Like, is this is this final, or is Daniel about to, you know, say there's a condition, or if this, or if that? So that's a really good question. Is there a way out? I think when you read down. Yeah. Okay. Adam, why don't you read for us? Uh, read for us a few verses down. Let's find out whether there's a way out. So we just finished verse twenty-four, right? Yeah. So yeah. verse twenty-five says. I think goes on within what's going to happen. It says, then you'll be driven from men. Your dwelling will be with the beasts of the field. You'll eat grass like a cow. You'll be wet with the dew of heaven and seven times or years will pass over you. And then it says, till you know that the most high rules and the king, the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he will. Then we come down to verse 27 and it says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your sins by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Okay, when we think about the advice that Daniel is giving right here, uh, you know, we have to ask ourselves the question, is this good advice or is it futile advice? God has prophesied this will happen. Does that guarantee that it will happen? When God says something... And he pronounces judgment on someone or somebody. Is it absolutely? Does it absolutely have to happen? You know, is is Daniel wasting his time right here? I think in this story, no. I think Nebuchadnezzar did have a way out. Like if he had listened to Daniel's counsel in verse twenty-seven, if he had like practiced righteousness, if he had showed mercy to the oppressed, he wasn't such a you know an oppressive leader, etc. And it turned around. I think that this wouldn't have this dream of the tree wouldn't have happened. Do we have an, another example of that in Scripture that can give us uh, an insight into what could possibly have happened where you've got a great empire, a great nation, a great city that Nineveh, is warned? Nineveh. Okay, Nineveh. Tell us about Nineveh. Nineveh. What, what happened there? Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh to you know, tell them about to be destroyed, but if they repented, they'd be saved. And then, surprisingly, this, this was a, a terrible nation you know, in terms of their what they did to their mm-hmm. enemies and all mm-hmm. that type of stuff. And they turned around and they listened to him and the city wasn't destroyed. This is the capital of the Assyrian yeah. Empire. This is, a, this is an empire that ruled the world by promoting sheer terror mm-hmm. in the most unimaginable way that uh, you could ever depict. Uh, you talk about war crimes. These were the, kind, the guys who would commit war crimes and then depict those war crimes on billboards all over the empire in the most gory and mm. bloodthirsty images. You can even just, just you know, people being impaled and their heads being cut off and their hands being cut off and blood spurting all over the place. Uh. And they built these billboards by carving it in stone so that we can still go and see them today. This was the Assyrians. I mean, they were so far gone. They were... We, we talk about Nebuchadnezzar being a psycho. When you come to the Assyrians, they were, on, they were next level psycho. And, and, and this was, you know, as a nation, mm. as an empire. You know, we talk about trauma and, you know, post-traumatic stress and these kinds of um, mental illnesses that afflict people. And we see the impact that it has on people today and how it messes with their heads. When you study the Assyrian Empire, you're dealing with not just you know, a certain percentage of the population that is traumatized, you're dealing with a traumatized society. Mm. 
and the societies that they rule over are traumatized societies because you're living in an age where you know everybody has been impacted by something so horrific perpetrated by the Assyrians that everybody is qualified for PTSD. It's just kind of the normal. It has become the norm. Mm. It's a traumatized society. And you sort of wonder, okay, yeah, God says, 40 days, I'm going to wipe this city out. And if we were Jonah at that particular point, we'd be like, yes, great. And then God says, go and preach to these guys. And like, no. Like what? <laughs> no, these are, the worst, these are the worst guys on the planet. There's no way I'm going to go and tell them that they're sinners. Mm. And so there was good reason why he wanted to run away. One, he wanted to preserve his own skin. But two, it'd be really good to see Nineveh wiped out. And so then he goes there and he preaches and they get converted and God doesn't wipe it out because they are converted and then he gets grumpy about it. Yeah. Interesting story. But it does show the conditional nature of prophecy. Mm -hmm. And that's a really critical element for mm -hmm. us to understand. And this one was conditional on, on, his, on his reaction to what he heard. Yes. His response to what he heard. And the thing that makes prophecy conditional is the character of God. Because God is always looking for a way to save every single person. Gemma, you're looking puzzled right now. I have a question. It's a little... Uh, okay, so when you were asking... My mind went to like Moses and Pharaoh, yes. right? And because oh, he I'm was glad like, you went there. yeah, yeah, because because God's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to, you know, have to the wrath of God. You know, all the kids, all the firstborn of Egypt, because of what Pharaoh has done, blah blah blah. Um, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So we're talking about conditional prophecy, right? So this mm -hmm. could, if Pharaoh had softened up and let, you know, the people go, the Israelites free, that could have ended like the Nineveh story. It could have been like a happy ending to a point. But it didn't turn out that way. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yes. And we always quote the two... So that's the opposite effect. We always quote the two verses in the Bible where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We ignore the 14 there verses... There were also other ones that where said Pharaoh's that heart Pharaoh was hardened. Yes. hardened his heart. Yes. And the seven verses that say that his heart was hardened. Yes. We always go straight to those ones, don't we? Because they're the tricky ones. Everybody okay. can accept that Pharaoh um, hardened his own heart, but um, nobody wants to. But arguing the fact that God hardened Pharaoh... That's the hard one. That's the tricky okay. one. Okay. So think about this. Yeah. All right. Does God reach out to both Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar? Hmm. To introduce himself. Does God introduce himself to both of these, these kings? I don't know. Does God yeah, introduce himself to Pharaoh? He comes to Pharaoh and he's like, oh, look, I, I, I can turn, you know, uh, a rod into a serpent. Uh, That's okay. actually a real so serpent. So through Moses, he introduces himself. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, I, I, can, I can heal leprosy. I can do this. I can do that. I can do the other. Mm. All right. And then he starts with, with Pharaoh with, you know, fairly mild stuff. You know, turns the river to blood, but a few days later, he turns it back to water again. Yeah. So that's like a big wake-up call. That's mm -hmm. that's that's attention-grabbing. But it's not the end of the world. No, some locusts, some boils. It builds some, and it you know, builds yeah. and it builds and it builds and it builds, right? Yeah. So God is reaching out to Pharaoh. And as he's reaching out to Pharaoh, he's reaching out because he wants to reach Pharaoh. He wants to save Pharaoh. Ooh, but Pharaoh nice. is responding by getting harder and harder and harder, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. Does he reach out to Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. Yes. Does he introduce himself to Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. Yes. Through Daniel. Yeah. So one through Moses, one through Daniel. You've got, yep. you've got an interesting parallel between these two world mm. emperors. Mm. Do, the, do the judgments that come Nebuchadnezzar's way start off you know, kind of small and get bigger and bigger and bigger? Yeah, because initially it's a little bit of embarrassment with the dream. Then it's a lot of embarrassment at the golden image. 
And now it's going to be seven years of insanity. So, yes. Okay, so God is reaching out to both, and both of them are copying some hard times, but they react, they respond very, very differently. Mm. And talk more about this, explore more of this in uh, just a moment. Right now we have the Lesser Light Collective with I Saw a Tree. Couldn't have anything more topical than this song right here. Listen to me, people, I've got a tale As tall as the trees and as true as I've failed God has done wonders, done wonders for me He's rescued my soul with visions and dreams I saw a tree Standing tall above the earth And it gave food and shelter For the beasts and the birds But they said cut it down, cut it down, cut it down This high elevation has gone to his crown Daniel, my friend, he told it to me straight Oh, king, cut it out and the axe may be stayed Start living right, man, look out for the least Quit acting like one or you'll end up a beast I saw a tree Standing tall above the earth And it gave food and shelter For the beasts and the birds But they said cut it down, cut it down, cut it down This high elevation
What comes to mind when you think of studying nursing? Practical experience? A rewarding career? Great employment prospects? When you think of nursing, think of Avondale College of Higher Education. 92.7% of our nursing graduates were employed within four months of completing their degree, with credible experience and with friends for life. To apply now, visit avondale.edu.au. It's higher education, designed for life. With Encounter with God here on The Breakfast Show, we are talking about Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's conversion. And we were looking at the difference between what happened to Pharaoh and what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when you look at what happened to Pharaoh, you're going to find that, you know, it takes place over a relatively short space of time. Yeah. You know, the, the plagues don't stretch out forever. What happens to Nebuchadnezzar? This is seven years of insanity. I mean, he really cops it. Mm-hmm. He, but he I just, think it's even longer than that when you think about it. From Daniel 2 to Daniel 4, the time span there is, I don't know, 20 years or so. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You, you that God's to, working uh-huh. on him through Daniel and through his people there. Indeed. So there are some differences between the two. But Nebuchadnezzar, he does cop it. But here's, here's what's interesting, is God reaches out to both people. And he reaches out in a very similar way. We can't say it's the same, but it's very similar. There are a lot of parallels between how he reaches out to them. And he reaches out with his love. And it's like the old illustration of explaining, you know, those two verses where it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart when we take those two and ignore, you know, the 14 others that say otherwise, um, where you simply take a block of clay and a block of wax and you put them both in the sun. Yeah, one softens, It's one the goes same hard. sun. Yeah, yeah. The clay gets hard, the wax melts. And in this case, it turns out that Pharaoh was clay. The more God reached out to him, hmm. the more God introduced himself to him, the more God showed him his power, the more God gave him an opportunity because every plague was an opportunity for him to turn and give his life to God. The harder he got and the more he hated God and the more he didn't want to have anything to do with God. Whereas with Nebuchadnezzar, he was like really, really, really hard wax. <laughs> you know, because most people are going to melt a lot sooner than Quicker seven than, years of yeah. insanity. Okay, but we do need to read on and we need to look at what happens in the rest of the story because it gives us one of the most remarkable stories of history. Uh, Adam, can you read for us verse 28, 29, please? 29, oh. 30. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Wow. Just wow. He has seen the power of God. He has seen how God is the one who has placed him into power. And right here is like, no. No. Look at not that Yahweh. Yeah. Not Yahweh. Forget Yahweh. <laughs> this was me. I built this. I think the key point, though, before verse 30, is verse, verse 29 is, is the key point of the, of the whole story in many ways. Because it says at the end of 12 months. Oh, okay. So we have this prophecy mm-hmm. that you're going to, you know, you're, you're this tree, blah, blah, blah. You're going to eat grass like an oxen. And then the warning is break off your sins and, and, and you know, be a good man. 
mm-hmm. treat the treat the poor well. And then it says at the end of 12 months. So for 12 months, nothing happens. So God gave him one year, 12 months to heed the advice that he had given through Daniel 12, a whole year previous. So it wasn't like God enacted this straight away. Like, okay, this is, you've been a bad person. This is what's going to happen. Bang. God waits for 12 months. He gave him a whole year for repentance. Whole year. Yeah. And maybe because nothing happened in the first month, Nebuchadnezzar's like, ah, I'm good. Then nothing happens in the second month. God gave him 12 full months. And he's still as arrogant at the end as he was at the beginning. But I think that's a key point. 12 months to turn it around. But he wasn't told you got 12 months, but God gave him 12 months. It's a very human reaction, isn't it? When nothing happens, we're like, we just go back to our normal self. Mm. There's that text in Ecclesiastes, I think, where it says, because judgments against an evil work is not executed speedily, the heart of the, you know, this, it's fully set to do do their own way, and I think that's that's true with us. When, when we do something and we get away with it, we're like, ah, I'm good to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We do it again and then yeah. again. Okay, so we have to get on it, and we have to uh, read these last few verses here. Um, Jimmy, you want to read for us uh, verse 31 through 33. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Okay, so we used to call this a uh, this kind of thing a mental illness back in the day. It used to be called clinical boanthropy and that is when you self-identify as something that you are not. Of course, we no longer call it a mental illness. We call it something that must be accepted, and so we no longer give it the treatment that it should deserve, which is the greatest tragedy for people who are suffering with mental illness right now, is they no longer get, a, they no longer get treatment, they get acceptance. They don't need, well, they need acceptance and love, obviously, but what people need when they are ill is treatment. Mm-hmm. But these days we're told, oh, no, if you if you self-identify as a cat or a dog or a cow or whatever it might be, then you can't be judging someone. Hmm. Well, the Bible says that that's insanity in the clearest possible way. And, you know, I tend to think that a three-year-old would recognize that as insanity. (laughs) You know, a three-year-old who loves to go around pretending that they are a cow or a dog or a cat or whatever it might be, when they see somebody, an adult, who actually believes that, who actually self-identifies that way, they know it's not right. They know it's insanity. We don't have to, and we have to then educate them or re-educate them. Like, oh no, 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 this is not insanity. That's just that's just who they are. We need to accept them that way. Yeah, our world has gone stark raving mad, mm-hmm. and it just you know this this passage here just highlights the fact True. that you know the Bible says that when Nebuchadnezzar suffered from this, it was insanity. He lost his mind. A couple of other interesting points that come out in this passage right here is that when you study the history of Babylon, you've got you know the seven-year period that the Bible mentions where he goes insane. And we've got many records of ancient Babylon. There is not a record, not a clear record of Nebuchadnezzar's insanity. There are allusions to it hmm. in history. 
But you've got to remember that the ancients did not record history. None of the ancients ever recorded history. They recorded victories. And then definitely not going to record how their great emperor. Yeah, that's right. So there's, there's, there's two big issues here. The first is that when you study Babylonian history, there is a seven-year gap where everything suddenly goes quiet about mm. Nebuchadnezzar. That's interesting. Mm. The second thing is, and I'll, and I'll share with you a couple of allusions here in just a moment. The second thing is, and the thing that blows my mind more than anything else, is that you've got this seven-year gap in the middle where the throne is empty huh. and no one else sits on it. How does that happen? I mean, this is unparalleled in ancient history because there was always somebody who was trying to sit on that mm. throne. You know, look at what happens when Nebuchadnezzar dies. You know, Amal Marduk comes along. He lasts, what, two years. Um, then Labashi Marduk comes along. He lasts for nine months. Then you've got uh, Nabonidus who managed to stabilize it. And this was typical. You know, when the emperor dies, it goes through a period of instability where they all fight over it until somebody who's strong enough can stabilize the empire and actually pull it together. Yeah. There was always somebody who was trying to topple the emperor. Now you've got a throne that is empty and it stays secure for that entire period of time. And at the end of that, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar turns to God, gives his life to God. God gives him back his empire, gives him back his sanity, and he and thus we have his personal testimony here. A testimony to the power of God. Joy to the Lord Come let us shout To the rock of salvation Yeah Come before Him With thanksgiving Yeah And extol Him with music And come let us
hear, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah, as you did that day in the desert. I said they have not known my ways So I declared in my anger They will never enter my rest Enter my rest Come let us Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Happy Hearts is a free community craft program for kids aged one to five, designed to encourage growth and creativity through Bible stories. Join us each Tuesday during the school term from 9:30 till 11 a.m. at the Senior Citizens Hall, 401 Warburton Highway, Wandon North. For more information or to register, go to happyhandsart.com.au forward slash happyhearts or contact Patricia on 0425 854 516. That's 0425 854 516. Happy Hearts. Free fun for kids and the mess stays with us.
You're listening to Michael Yazowski and Martha Barlow with I Believe here on The Breakfast Show. We have come to Question of the Daytime, but before we do, we have an answer for our quiz. Congratulations to Jeff from East Gosford who has answered correctly, and the answer is... 12. 12. What number am I? The number 12. What have we got for our Question of the Day today, Gemma? The Question of the Day today is who was the fourth man or person or being or thing in the furnace. Okay, so we go back to Daniel chapter 3. We were talking about the burning, fiery furnace, and we ask ourselves the question, who was the fourth person there? Now, everybody would immediately say, well, that's easy. You see, the Bible says that in verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar the king spoke and was astonished and rose up in haste and said to his council, didn't we cast three men bound into the middle of fire? They answered and said unto the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, lo, I see four men loose, Walking in the middle of the fire, they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That's Jesus Christ, plain and simple. We know who the Son of God is, right? Mm-hmm. Except that, that's the King James Version. Yes. Other translations don't translate it that way. No. We need to find out what is the what is the actual, with the correct translation? Is this, does he recognize Jesus Christ? Is he specifically talking about the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Or was it just an angel that turned up? Or was he thinking it was, you know, one of the sons of Bel or Marduk or one of the other Babylonian gods? Yeah. Okay. Uh, give us a, what, what have you got there for us? I have the message okay. version, message, yeah. something a little bit different. It says, but look, he said, I see four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed, and the fourth man looks like a son of the gods. Okay, so here, this translation doesn't say that he recognizes Jesus Christ, but he recognizes a supernatural being. Mm. NLT likewise says, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth... Looks like a god. Yes. Doesn't even, have, doesn't even have sun in there at all. Just says, he looks like a god. Mm. Doesn't, not the god, but a god. NIV and ESV both have son of the gods. Okay, so what, what, which direction should we be going here? All right, so we need to find out. And the other thing that throws a little bit of a spanner in the works is that the son of God is a title that we find very common in the New Testament. Yes. Very rare in the Old Testament. Mm. So we have to ask ourselves, this phrase, the Son of God, as it is translated in the KJV, uh, what is the context of this phrase within the book of Daniel? When Daniel is writing the book of Daniel, who is he actually trying to identify at this particular point? Is he trying to identify Jesus Christ, or is he trying to just be vague that there was a divine being who turned yeah, up? Yeah, is Son of God in the Old Testament the same Son of God in the New Testament? Well, well I'm asking the question in the even more specifically, in the context of the book of Daniel. Mm. When Daniel writes this, who is he trying, when he talks about, uses this phrase, which is very, very rare in the Old Testament, yeah. when he uses this phrase, who is he trying to communicate to us who was present there on that day? The answer is found in Daniel chapter 7. So let's go to Daniel chapter 7, and we are going to notice down in verse 13... Uh, where you saw, where the Bible says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, 
One like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. There was given him dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Who here is identified as the Son? The one who receives a kingdom, right? Yeah. A kingdom that lasts forever, which is the eternal kingdom. So who is that? You've only got one option for that. Well, Jesus. That's Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So within the context of the book of Daniel itself, the Son is Jesus Christ. Mm. So this is something you don't find used a lot in the, uh, in the Old Testament, Jesus being referred to as a Son, but within the context of the book of Daniel, he is. The other thing that is interesting is throughout the Bible, when it's just an angel that turns up, it is always differentiated when God himself turns up. Even when the word angel is used in reference to God, it always uh, is clear who is an angel and who is God and who should receive worship and who should not. And here the Bible is directing us very clearly towards Jesus Christ himself being there in the fiery furnace. The three friends refused to bow down Like everyone else in the crowd Whether they lived or died They would worship their God And he stood with them through the fire like the reformers of old They stood only for their God His word was their cry They would not deny They gave up their lives in the fire Will you stand faith? Boldly for all to see Will you choose God or man? Will you stand? Will you stand? Will you stand on the Bible alone? Jesus hung painfully Battle cry 
to see Will you choose God or man? Will you stand? Will you stand? Will you stand on the Bible alone? We will stand faithfully Boldly for all to see We will choose God, not man We will stand We will stand We will stand On the Bible alone That was Carly Fletcher with Will You Stand? You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We have come to the end of our show which means that we are about to give something away Woo-hoo! for the first caller through. So what have you got for us there, Gemma? I have a book about a movie, which we've talked about before because I love this movie and I love this story. Indeed. Hacksaw Ridge. Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. So good. Absolutely. World War Two story um, of a man who received the Congressional Medal of Honor, uh, the highest medal given by the United States government for bravery in conflict, a man who never carried a weapon more deadly than a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> that was his most deadly weapon. He refused to carry a weapon, and he went into battle to save lives rather than to take lives. And as a result of uh, action on a place called uh, the Immediate Escarpment, or the, as the otherwise known as Hacksaw Ridge, he won the Medal of Honor. Because he did just that. He saved lives. Yeah. His superior officer estimated he saved over 100 lives. He refused to accept that uh, when the report went through, and he refused to uh, allow his superior officer to list 100 people that were saved. And uh, he said there could not possibly have been more than 50. (laughs) And so eventually they reached a compromise and settled on 75. (laughs) And so the official citation reads, 75 lives saved. Wow. Amazing. He did that single-handedly, by himself in enemy-occupied territory. Without a gun. No protection. No protection. Okay, so give us a call right now, 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669 and you can get your copy of Hacksaw Ridge. And of course, please spend some time reading and studying your Bible today. You will grow closer to Jesus if you do so. And don't forget to talk faith, live faith and act faith and you'll become more like him. Step down into darkness Open my eyes and let me see Beauty that made this heart adore you Hope of a life spent with you Here I am to worship 
Listening to Faith FM. I hope you have the best day. Woohoo! Have you ever felt joy deep inside your soul? Have you ever felt a love that never would grow cold? Trumps no matter what may come in The patience of a high school teacher <laughs> There's a place we're going to There's a place with all those attributes And there's a place where all our longings are fulfilled the Missing piece in the puzzle is filled Triumphing evil in every realm 
your lips my name you'll call Jesus it's you I'll stand before Totally in awe It's unimaginable